You're listening to a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. This is an Allied Health and Nursing Education Outreach Program podcast in collaboration with the Education Hub at the Royal Children's Hospital. Hi, I'm Tania Ramos. I'm one of the clinical nurse educators for the Allied Health and Nursing Education Outreach Program. Today, I'm speaking with Jessica Taranto and Susie Jackson, both are clinical nurse consultants for the colorectal and pelvic reconstruction service here at RCH. Today, we'll be discussing the establishment of their service and how that has benefited the children and their families. Hi, ladies. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. Hi, Tan. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Tan. It's great to be a part of this conversation. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Jess and Susie, can you tell us about how your service came about and what conditions you work with? Sure. So I'll tell you a little bit about the CPRS and how we came to be. Uh, And it would be remiss of me not to start with the director of our service, um, Associate Professor Sebastian King. So Sebastian is the director of the colorectal and pelvic reconstructive service. He's also a consultant pediatric surgeon here at RCH. He also has some titles under Murdoch uh, Children's Research Institute and runs some research projects through them also. So Sebastian's brainchild has been the CPRS um, and how it started, I got him to write down a few things for me just so I could uh, share those with you today. But in 2003, when he was doing his PhD, he paired up with Professor John Hudson, who's a urologist here at RCH, and his PhD was on manometry in the context of chronic constipation. And that really sort of sparked his interest in colorectal conditions um, and directed him where he was going to take his training. That's wonderful. Yeah, and that took him over to the States. So in 2013, he did a three-week visit at Cincinnati Children's. And while he was there, he got to meet two surgeons that are really world-renowned in this area, uh, Alberto Pina and Mark Levitt. And he got to work with them for a few weeks. And that was the first time he got to see what a MDT, a multidisciplinary team, looked like in the colorectal space and really inspired him. Uh, in 2014, he went to Toronto and was working at Sick Kids, And again, they've got an MDT set up for their colorectal team there. And he worked with Professor Jacob Langer. Then he came back to RCH in 2015 uh, after he'd finished his fellowship and, and was a consultant paediatric surgeon here. At that time, he was doing some research into quality of life with kids with colorectal conditions. And some of the research... Um, feedback that they got was that a lot of their families here in Australia were really suffering from not having nurses, social workers, psychology, having that input into their care. And that sort of got his mind ticking. How can we do that here in Australia? Our healthcare systems are obviously very different to America and Canada. So he had to put his thinking cap on. Um, And in 2017, that was the first time he approached the RCH Foundation and sort of brainstormed with them around fundraising ideas and grant applications that he could go for. That's Um, wonderful. Yeah. And so in 2019, it all sort of came to a head. He was successful in getting funding from the RCH Foundation. He was also successful getting a federal government grant. And he then used that money to develop the CPRS So now in 2021, we're quite a big team. Um, All that funding has been used to advertise for positions and create positions within the team. Today, we have two consultant surgeons. We also have a paediatrician, a gastroenterologist, urologist and a gynecologist that work in our team. We've got four clinical nurse consultants, two stomal therapy nurses. We've got two care coordinators, a psychologist, a social worker, a child life therapist. Well, that's amazing. You've literally gone from not having any anything 
to an amazing, really um, robust team. Yeah, yeah, we really, really have. We also have behind the scenes a research team working through Murdoch, a health economist and quality improvement manager that are really helping us with our care. So Sebastian's done an amazing job getting that funding and then having the background from his experience in Canada and the United States to think of a team that he can put together so that these kids are well cared for at RCH. Wow, definitely it's been a long time in the making. It has, it has. So Suze can yeah. tell you a little bit about some of the conditions yes, that we Susie, treat. Yes, so tell us about some of the conditions actually that your service looks after. Yeah, so here at the um, Colorectal and Pelvic Reconstruction Service we care for three specific colorectal conditions. So Hirschsprung's disease, anorectal malformations and chronic constipation. So I'll just give you a little brief overview of each of the conditions, signs and symptoms, um, treatment and then long-term management. So we'll start with Hirschsprung's disease. So it's a congenital condition. It occurs one in 5,000 live births, tends to be more common in males than females and it's associated with inherited conditions such as trisomy 21. So Hirschsprung's disease is characterised by the absence of ganglion cells which inhibit the normal peristaltic motion of the bowel. So there are different levels of Hirschsprung's disease. So first up we have short segment disease. So this is where the ganglion cells are absent in the rectum and sigmoid colon. A majority of our children between 80 and 85% um, will have short segment disease. Then we have long segment. So the ganglion cells are absent proximal to the sigmoid colon and rectum. Total colonic disease, so the ganglion cells are absent in the entire colon. And then small bowel aganglionosis, so the ganglion cells are absent in the entire colon as well as a variable length of the small colon. I hadn't realised actually how many different types there were. Yeah. So the most common signs and symptoms um, in a newborn baby will see um, failure to pass that meconium in the first 24 to 48 hours a distended abdomen, bilious vomiting and a temperature. And in older kids, we tend to see um, severe constipation, delayed growth, poor appetite, sepsis and watery stools. So treatment for a child with Hirschsprung's disease. So rectal washouts um, are our first line treatment. So these are performed twice a day. Um, We'll teach the parents how to perform these prior to their child being discharged home. And they will do these washouts until their child's definitive surgery is um, carried out. So if we are unable to adequately decompress the child's bowel with rectal washouts, um, they will be given a stoma. So the definitive procedure, otherwise known as the pull-through procedure, so removing the aganglionic section of bowel and then bringing down the ganglionic bowel to the anus, occurs around three to four months of age or five kilos. If the child has a stoma, um, it will be closed three to four months post that pull-through procedure. So follow-up care for children with Hirschsprung's disease involves regular clinic visits in that first year in our multidisciplinary team setting. And then from there on, um, we tend to stretch them out slightly depending on the child's progress and needs. Children may require um, support for bowel management, whether that be in the setting of um, constipation or incontinence. Um, So here at RCH for Hirschsprung's disease, we see between 15 to 20 newborn presentations per year and we receive um, 10 to 15 interstate referrals each year. So now... That's a large number. Yeah. So the next topic that I'll talk about or the next condition I'll talk about is anorectal malformations. So again, this is a congenital um, condition that affects the development of the anus and rectum. Um, It occurs one in 5,000 live births, also tends to be more common um, in males than females, and various clinical presentations ranging from mild to extremely complex. And how many kids would you see 
a year here at RCH. Between 20 to 25 new presentations. And in the complex case, there may be a connection or a fistula between the rectum and the urinary system. So a percentage of these children born with an anorectal malformation um, can also be diagnosed with a condition also known as Vactyl. So that's a group of anomalies. So there are different types of ARMs in males. I'll just list them for you. So perineal fistula, rectobulbar, rectoprostatic fistula, rectobladderneck fistula, and then there's an ARM with no fistula. In the females, we also see a perineal fistula, a rectovestibular fistula, cloaca, and again, an ARM um, with no fistula. So if um, anyone would like more information about the different types, they can always reach out to us. We can come and provide education or they can um, head over to our page on the internet or intranet. If you just go through departments and click on colorectal and pelvic reconstruction service, there's more information in regards to the conditions. So common signs and symptoms for children um, with an ARM. So the anus is not present, not open, or it's in the incorrect position. Um, fail to pass meconium, passing stool via the penis or vagina, distended abdomen, bilious vomiting, um, and again, born with associated anomalies. So depending on the type of malformation your child has, they may require a stoma, and this is performed within 24 to 48 hours of life. Reconstructive surgery to create a new bottom um, or reposition the anus occurs around three to four months of age. So following the reconstructive surgery, um, ARM patients are required to do anal dilatations and this is to keep the newly formed anus open to the correct position. Dilatations are performed twice a day and once that correct size is achieved with the dilatations, the stoma can be closed and this happens around three months post the reconstructive surgery. And is that something your team um, who is responsible for teaching the parents? Yes, yeah, so we teach our families how to do it for the first time why their child is under a general anaesthetic. Fantastic. Yeah. And we keep very close contact during that dilatation period um, with the families. So follow-up care for a child with an ARM, again, involves regular clinic visits in that first year with our multidisciplinary team. And then we stretch them out um, depending on the child's progress. So long-term follow-up is extremely important in all colorectal care. Sorry. It sounds like it is, definitely. Yeah, it's long-term. Yep. And again, these children may require um, support for bowel management, whether it be in the setting of constipation and incontinence. So as I mentioned before, we see about 25 to 30 newborn presentations each year and about 20 to 25 interstate referrals. And can you briefly tell us about the chronic constipation? Yeah, no worries. So constipation is a common childhood condition that can be described as passing hard, dry stool that may be infrequent, difficult or painful to pass. So children with chronic constipation experience less bowel movements than the average child. They may avoid sitting on the toilet or stooling in their nappy as they associate you know, doing a bowel movement with pain. And this often becomes a vicious cycle. So common signs and symptoms of chronic constipation include less than three bowel movements per week over several weeks, straining, hard stools, incomplete bowel movements, soiling, wetting, pain with bowel movements and anal fissures. This sounds like it could be very distressing for the child. Yeah, and the parents as well. 
So red flags with constipation are um, infants presenting less than six weeks of age. So this should be discussed with a senior doctor. Delayed passage of meconium. So most infants will pass meconium in that first 24 hours of life. So things, again, we need to consider here are Hirschsprung's disease and anorectal malformations if this doesn't occur. Ribbon-like stools. So again, we'll be looking at anorectal malformations here. Um, weight loss and poor growth, persistent vomiting um, and abdominal mass not consistent with the large faecal mass. So consider referrals to RCH when any red flag is present or concerns of an underlying organic pathology. So follow-up care for a child with um, chronic constipation again involves regular visits to our constipation clinic. Again, as mentioned, long-term follow-up is extremely important. And children with chronic constipation may require support for ostomy care, bowel management, whether that be in the form of oral medications or anti-grade options. So here at RCH, we see between 70 to 80 new referrals each year and 10 to 15 interstate referrals each year. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. That was great. And like I said, I didn't realise there were so many sort of subcategories in all those conditions. Yeah. Obviously, your service provides lots of support and education. What do you think is the biggest challenge for families and what resources have you guys developed to help with these complex conditions and patient and family experience? Um, Yeah, it's a really good question, Tan, because I think why Sebastian developed this service is because he identified some of these challenges when he did his quality of life study and his thoughts were the best way to help overcome challenges for these families was to provide a multidisciplinary team and I think what we've found since we've started in the role that a lot of the challenges are happening sort of in the first 12 months there are challenges after that as well but unfortunately Hirschsprung's disease and anorectal malformations aren't diagnosed antenatally so a common story for us is a woman's in labor she's expecting a healthy child she gives birth within maybe a day or two her baby's rushed to RCH for emergency surgery sometimes she's separated from her child sometimes that might be a day a week depending on if it was a normal delivery or a Caesar and then they're given a lot of information sort of you know in the first so heartbreaking and overwhelming for for anybody especially if you don't know what's coming as you said it's not diagnosed prior yeah that's right so everything not only are you having a brand new baby but that baby is being separated from you you're then learning all these new words and terms that you've never heard of before unfortunately Hirschsprung's disease and and ARM aren't very well known in the community, so families often have no idea what these are. There's then the whole discussion around the parts of the body that are involved and the stigma that can be associated with that. So we've found that a lot of families grappling with that decision too. Who do we tell? What do we say? Is it, it must a- be quite confronting, you know, having to do the anal dilatations, having to do all those sort of medical procedures, but almost become part of their normal life yeah yeah that's right so you know another challenge like you said that we've identified is that for all the conditions that we have whether it be HD chronic constipation or ARM somewhere along the journey the parents need to partake in procedures to look after that child and that's not normal you know families don't expect to be doing that when they have a child so that can be quite confronting too. Oh definitely and Susie what sort of resources seeing that obviously the the families are facing so many challenges what sort of resources do you guys have available for families and clinicians? Yeah so we've worked really hard over the last 12 months to produce a number of resources 
to help support families navigating these colorectal conditions. So the first thing that I want to talk about is the binders and booklets that we've created. So each family is presented with a, a diagnosis binder during their diagnosis talk. Yeah, I've had a look at these and they're amazing. Yeah. They're pretty cool. We're very proud of them. Yeah, yes, so you should be. <laughs> yeah, so within that binder there's all the contact details for clinicians within the service. And we, I would say, drip feed the family with information. We don't like to overwhelm them with too much information at once. So initially we'll give them what the child um, is diagnosed with, a welcome to um, the service booklet, what care looks like in the neonatal unit. And then as they um, move forward in their pathway, we'll distribute more, more booklets. As they're, yeah. As they're progressing through the stages. Yeah, because we know that there's so much information given initially that it's quite hard to retain all of that information. It's a great strategy actually to prevent families from being too overwhelmed too quickly. Yeah. yeah. We're I, fighting against Google sometimes though, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing, you know, like we will ask families, you know, if they want that little bit more, but normally we drip feed yeah. when it's appropriate. So, so far we've created 10 booklets what else we've been working on um, for clinicians and families are um, Hirschsprung's Associated Disease Alert Cards. So these are cards um, that are presented to the family. So if their child presents with any of the signs and symptoms for enterocolitis, they can show their local doctor and it just gives them a description of the signs and symptoms and then contact details that they can call here at RCH and get support and direction on what to do with care. Yeah, and um, you know we were speaking before off the this podcast, but I never realised actually how um, severe enterocolitis can be. Yeah, so enterocolitis is is like a complication of Hirschsprung's disease. So it's an infection or obstruction of the bowel. It can be caused obviously by an obstruction or a bacteria or virus. And the child can um, present with gastro-like symptoms. So sometimes it can be um, misdiagnosed for gastro. So with our families, we always want them to present this card just to alert medical professionals that their child has this underlying condition because we know children do a lot better with immediate treatment for enterocolitis. That's such a wonderful resource actually and I'd imagine that it'd be really greatly received by clinicians who may not be so exposed to lots of children with Hirschsprung's disease. Yeah, yeah. like Sue said um, it's very similar to gastro so uh, a child a typical presentation might be a child going to their local ED their local GP them saying it's okay go home it's probably just gastro Some come forwards. back if you're concerned um, and these kids go down really really quickly so they can be become septic and quite unwell uh, it's it's a life-threatening condition that we take very seriously yeah oh and so you should mm. and it sounds like there's lots of resources available both to families and to um, staff and you, you mentioned before the website can you tell us a little bit more about where families could find your resources online yeah, so we have, um, like Sue's mentioned, now if you go to rch.org.au and look at departments, you'll find the Colorectal and Pelvic Reconstruction Service. And from there, you can navigate to meet all the members of the team. You can find PDFs to all of our booklets. We will be having videos of the education sessions that we provide there, also links to some of the research projects that the, some of the members of our team have. We've also started in the last few months doing family education 
nights. So we had our first one a few months ago and we've got another one coming up next week. Next week's information sessions on Hirschsprung's disease and in three months time we'll be having one on anorectal malformations. So all of that is found via our website. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah, we also have all our email addresses on the website. So if anybody out there would like any more information or interested in any members of our team coming to provide education to your ward or to your service, we're more than happy to do that. We've done that already for quite a few teams here at RCH and the feedback that we're getting is really positive. Unfortunately, Hirschsprungs and anorectal malformations aren't very well known around here as well. So it's really good to be able to start educating people and letting people become familiar with these conditions. Yeah, that's right stigma yeah that's right and and hopefully things like this podcast will actually help get the word out about the condition and your service yeah um i wanted to thank you both so much for your time and your expertise today uh, we really appreciate you taking the time out to speak to us today and also you know educating the clinicians out there about your service and the conditions that you help treat and manage great thanks thank so you. much for having us Dan. thank you Thanks for listening. Please view the description section below for more information on this topic. The Education Hub is a collaboration between the Royal Children's Hospital and the University of Melbourne Department of Paediatrics and funded by the RCH Foundation.